0: as you look at the exchange between Jesus and this woman, um, you can really see that they're on two different pages. Uh, Jesus is trying to talk to her, um, but but her mind's in left field. She is not on the same page as Jesus. And, And he says, can I have a drink? And she says, what business do you have talking to me? And he said, listen, if you knew who I really was, Because see, she just saw him as a male Jew, and he was breaking all the rules by talking to her. And he say, if you knew who I really was, not just what you see from the outside, you would have been asking me for a drink, not the other way around. And she looks at him and goes, but you ain't got no cup. Obvious question. And he says, the water I've got is a little bit different. Doesn't come from this well. And it's a lot different than this water. This water doesn't last. Take a drink, you get thirsty again. You carry a jug back home, that water runs out. And you got to come here again. This water runs out. But the water that I have, that's water that will never, ever run out. And when you have what I can give you, you'll never thirst for anything else again. Jesus is obviously trying to take this woman somewhere else. But this woman's mind's in another place. She still doesn't get it. And her, her, the final response that we just read was, Really? That water sounds great. I would love to never have to come back to this well again. I would love to stay out of the heat. So I'll take some of that water. There's a disconnect between Jesus and this woman right now. And this whole passage is really about worship. We'll see that more as we get to the end. But let me give you this. Here's the first barrier to worship. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Here's the first barrier to worship you're drinking from the wrong well. You're drinking from the wrong well. This woman's mind, and rightly so, was stuck in the immediate and the physical. What she needed in the moment. The whole reason she had actually come to the well in the first place. Jesus was trying to take her to a new place, but she was missing the point because she was trying to draw from the wrong well. And there are wells in your life and in my life that time and time again we go back to to draw satisfaction from. Wells that we go back to looking for uh, joy, or happiness, or fulfillment, or satisfaction. And we go back over and over and over again looking for for the satisfaction in these wells that don't provide it. And one of the barriers for us truly experiencing worship, to really live in and respond to the presence and the person of God... Is that so many times we drink from the wrong well. Now, I've got a couple example wells that I think 21st century America, we, we draw from quite often. And this isn't an exhaustive list, um, but I think it, it might hit home with many of us, if not all of us. And here's the first well that we draw from, and it's money and possessions. Um... We've talked about this a number of times. Um, we, just a few weeks ago, talked about handling finances and being generous. and um, I don't want to spend too much time on this point other than um, we all realize the temptation to draw our satisfaction from toys and trinkets. And I'll be the first person to say, I love new stuff. All right? Um, it's, it, it feels great buying new stuff. Um, You can't tell, I get it, but I recently started training for a triathlon. Um, I have not been on a bike since I was a child, but I bought a bike off Craigslist, um, you know, and then you've got to outfit it. You know, I had to get the helmet and the water bottle and the water bottle cage and new pedals, and um, buying new stuff is fun. Uh, Even for a guy like me who's a cheapskate, um, buying new stuff is fun, and and maybe you're not into... um, bicycles or athletic gear maybe it's it's shoes maybe it's clothing maybe it's cars maybe it's food Um, we love buying stuff and we would be lying if we said it didn't feel good and we'd be lying if we said there wasn't some sort of high that came with buying new things Uh, because we like them and they're fun and we look forward to them and we enjoy them but they don't last most of it becomes stuff of garage sales two years later you buy a new phone it feels great for three weeks until it gets its first scratch or they come out with another one listen i don't know how you feel about apple but they have they have destroyed all of us with buying with with uh Going after this desire in us. I mean, every six months, a new phone. And, and then you get, you get the iPhone 5, and then they don't even come out with a real new one. They come out with the 5S. But we all feel bad that we don't have the new one. Um, maybe yours is with a different kind of gadget, but um, we all experience it. It feels great to buy new things, but the feeling doesn't last. It's just a matter of time until it's not new or it's not perfect and mint condition anymore, uh, or another one has come out. Um, One of the wells that we attempt to find satisfaction out of often is through money and possessions. Here's number two. Relationships and sex. Like money and possessions, relationships and sex are a God-given gift to us and can be great sources of happiness when used appropriately and within His boundaries. Um, Just like money and possessions, um, our temptation is to turn to relationships and sex to bring the satisfaction that we feel like we're missing in life. And we'll, we'll always look for the next thing, the next person, the next fling, To bring us what we're looking for, and it never lasts. It never lasts. The high, just like the high that comes with buying new things, the high that comes with relationships and sex, falls so short. And it's easy for us to miss uh, how deeply ingrained in us um, this desire for relationships and sex is, and how easy it is for us to get off base. This is going to be a weird example, but I want you to follow me. Follow it with me for just a, a minute. Uh, let's say all of us jumped on a big plane and and headed to another country this afternoon. And and we land in another country, and as soon as we get there, we all get in a bus or taxis, and we head to that that city's red light district. And we go down the street and we walk in this really questionable joint, um, walk in, take seats on the front row, somebody starts to walk out on the stage, and they open a box, they pull out a piece of bacon, everybody starts getting real excited, and then they put it back. And then they pull out a hamburger, people start getting, getting rowdy, start screaming, and then they put it back. They pull out a steak, people start throwing $1 bills at it. Now, that's a weird example, and here's why. Because if we were in that situation, we'd look around and go, these people have a sick and messed up perception of food. That's what you and I would be thinking. We we would go, something's wrong here. Their understanding of food is warped. In the same way, our, in our culture, um, we have warped an understanding of relationships and sex and what it should mean for our lives. A gift that God has given us to bring us happiness and joy. Um, but that so often we, we begin to, to elevate money, possessions, relationships, sex to a, to a place that they were never meant to be. Sometimes we see the distortion and go, that ain't right. And sometimes uh, we don't even recognize it as being strange. Here's a third one respect and success. It's another well that we go to looking for satisfaction. Maybe that's in school and you're looking for a certain status, to make a certain list, to get a certain grade. Maybe it's at work, and you're looking for a certain, um, certain promotion, a certain award, a certain commission. Maybe you're looking for recognition from somebody important. Maybe in your company, or in somebody else's company, or just anyone. So often, another well that we go to, to look for fulfillment, is respect and success. Now here's what happens in the Christian world, okay? Um, we often go to the wrong well for satisfaction, but we disguise it so that nobody really knows. And so we'll, we'll attach Jesus' name to whatever it is that we're doing to try to justify um, the fact that we don't really want God, we just want, we just want Him to help us get what we really want. And so we want God on our side because we think that through Him we can get more money. We want Jesus on our side because because He can help us meet the right person. And so often the temptation in Christian culture is to to mask going to other wells by attaching Jesus' name on it. And what we end up doing is we drink from the wrong wells looking for satisfaction. And we never find it because we weren't really interested in God. We were interested in what He could do for us. One of the greatest barriers to worship for us is drinking from the wrong well. Having our hearts and our minds set on something or someone that can't ever possibly satisfy. Here's uh, let's let's read a little bit more. Let's pick back up where we were, in verse sixteen. So she had just said to him, "Sir, give me that water that you're talking about. I'd love to taste some of it. I'd love to not have to come back to this well anymore." And then Jesus said to her, verse sixteen: "Go, call your husband and come here." The woman answered him, "I have no husband." Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. This seems harsh. It seems a little, little harsh by Jesus, doesn't it? I mean, he finally gets this woman interested in, in what he might have to offer. She says, okay, all right, Jesus, I would love some of that. And then, bam! Alright, go get your husband. Jesus fully knowing, because he's God in the flesh, this woman's relationship status. It seems harsh, doesn't it? Here's why Jesus did it. Because this is barrier number two to worship. It's unrepented and unconfessed sin. Unrepented and unconfessed sin. Here's what you have to remember. In, in our society, we don't think of adultery as that big of a deal. Like even if um, you've been married to the same person and you are passionate about staying that way and um, staying committed, uh, overall in our culture and society, we have, not, we have turned adultery into not that big of a deal. And we're not going to really get into a lot of that today, but let me tell you about this culture. In this day... Adultery is a capital offense. Do you remember the woman that was dragged before Jesus in the street? Some religious leaders had caught her in adultery. They drug her naked into the street. And what did they say? Jesus, according to the law, we're supposed to stone this woman. Adultery was a capital offense. And in that story, what did Jesus do? He starts riding in the dirt. Then he says, okay, whoever's without sin, you be the first one to cast the stone. And starting with the oldest and moving towards the youngest, they begin dropping their stones and leaving. This is a big deal in this culture. And now the light bulb comes on. Ding, 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 ding. Why is this woman coming to the well in the heat of the day? All by herself. Because she's the woman in town who's gone from bed to bed to bed to bed to bed. The other women probably won't even let her go to the well with them in the mornings. She doesn't want to be seen. She doesn't want to be around others. She doesn't want to hear the ridicule anymore. She would rather just live her life and stay in hiding And then she meets Jesus. She meets the God of this universe in human flesh, and he begins to have a spiritual conversation with her. First, he's got to get her on the right page because she's trying to draw from the wrong well. Her mind's in the wrong place, and Jesus is trying to say, Let's let's move over here. I need you to start thinking differently because if you want to experience something powerful, you're going to have to change your thinking about this. And just as she's starting to shift over, there's something else that's a barrier to her experiencing what Jesus has to offer. And it's unrepented, unconfessed sin. For us, it's easy to categorize sins you know, like, I don't kill people. I don't commit crimes that are capital offenses. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not sleeping with someone I'm not married to, or I'm not, you know, having an affair with somebody else. I mean, we try to categorize like, these are real bad ones, these are medium bad, and these are ones that everybody does. It's just life is. For you and I, unrepented, unconfessed sin is a barrier for us experiencing and living in and responding to what God's doing. Now here's what we know. If you're a follower of Christ, if you're saved, unrepented, unconfessed sin is not a barrier for you to receive God's love. Um, You make a mistake doesn't mean God withdraws His forgiveness. Or God withdraws His love. Or God withdraws His grace and mercy. But unrepented, unconfessed sin is most certainly a barrier to experiencing, living in and responding to God. And it will hold you back from experiencing what God wants you to experience. It will hold you back from being a part of the movement and power of God in your life that we would all love to see happen. It will not take God's love from you. It does not mean you are no longer a Christian. It does mean you will be severely limited in what you can be a part of and experience. The first barrier is drawing from the wrong will. The second barrier is uh, unrepented, unconfessed sin. Let's jump in and read just a little bit more. The woman answered him in verse 17, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. You, what you have said is true. I love this response from the woman. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. You think? All right, verse 20. You awake? Okay. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. She's trying to change subjects here. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem you will worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Um, Here's barrier number three, it's simple, ignorance. Barrier number three, ignorance. You cannot worship a God you do not know. Now, some of what this woman is doing is she's deflecting a little. She got called out, so now she needs to change subject. Hey, let's put the ball back in your court, Jesus. Let's talk about some things that I don't agree with you about. And there was this ongoing feud between the Jews and the Samaritans. For the Jews, there was a temple in Jerusalem um, where they worshipped. And they offered sacrifices. And and they knew that this is where God wants us to worship. The Samaritans had their own views. And we've talked about before. We're not going to get into how it happened. But they had their own mountain um, with their own temple set up where they said, No, 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 no. This is where you have to worship. And so this woman looks at Jesus and says, well, you say this, but we say this. And Jesus says, you don't get it. A time is coming and has now come. And those things don't matter. When it's not about what location you're in as to whether or not you can really worship God. Ignorance. You and I cannot worship a God we do not know. Part of one aspect of worship, and we're going to talk about this in the coming weeks, one aspect of worship is praise. Uh, It would be declaring good things about God. Declaring how loving or great or powerful He is. Those those would all go into the category of praise. Um, Let's say you came up to me after church today, you didn't know my wife, so you didn't know which lady out here is, belongs to me, um, unless she's holding a kid that looks like me, and then you would know, but uh, you come and you say, hey, I don't know which one she is, tell me about your wife, I said, oh man, she's awesome, oh, she's so beautiful, she's about one." gorgeous long blonde hair pretty brown eyes and I just went on and on oh man now if you didn't know my wife you'd go man this guy he is really into his wife and if you know my wife you go man she don't have blonde hair she ain't 6'1 she don't have brown eyes If she overheard that conversation, do you think she'd feel loved? How would she feel? Well, she'd probably be thinking, who's he talking about? But what would she feel if she heard me doting on her, but talking about things that have nothing to do with her? Does she feel loved and praised? What happens when we begin dwelling on thoughts about God that are inaccurate. One of the things I love about Chad is that he takes very, very, very seriously what songs we sing. And he reads through them and prays over them and checks them to make sure that they're correct and accurate because unfortunately, just because the song is labeled a Christian song does not mean it sings rightly about the Lord. And he does a great job of selecting songs that when we sing, we can sing with confidence knowing we're singing appropriately truths about our God. But for us to be able to worship God means we have to actually know who He is. And so for us to properly live in and respond to the presence and person of God means that we have to gain a better understanding of who He is, what worship is, and what role it should play in our life, which is why we're doing this series. But for this woman, she was missing the big picture of connecting with God because she was consumed on things that don't matter, about where, what place was the right place for worship. She was miss, missing what Jesus had to offer her because she was thinking location. And a great barrier for you and I in our worship is ignorance. Let's finish up this little passage and and we'll conclude this morning. And then Jesus is going to finish what he's saying. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. She, she concludes with, well, I mean, when Christ comes, we'll, we'll get all the answers. We'll figure this out. And Jesus basically looks at her and says, I just did. Back up just a moment. But the hour is coming and is now here. Notice that Jesus didn't say when worshipers. He said what? When the... True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. God is seeking people with inflamed hearts and informed minds. Generally, we could probably divide this group up into two categories. Thinkers and feelers. Um, and I don't know if you've taken the Myers-Briggs personality test. Some of you may already know where you line up or you just know your predisposition, but, but it carries on into our spiritual lives. And some of us, um, we love the feeling aspect of worship. So if I said, hey, Friday night, we're going to do a little special candlelight three-hour worship service. That would light you up. That sounds awesome. To others of you, you're thinking, seriously? I have to sing for three hours? Some of you, the feeling part of it is so important and, and is what you long for and what, what energizes and speaks to you. And it's this inflamed heart that you're so glad to be able to offer to God. Others of you would fall on the informed minds camp. You know, singing's fine, but I want to learn something. I want to know more. I want to be more knowledgeable and more, more, more tools in my belt, more prepared. And so for you, the singing's fine, the feeling stuff, that's good, you know, some people like that, I get it, but, but, but I'm on the informed mind side, that's, that's where my strength lies, that's where I want to be, I want to read, I want to study, I want to learn, and it's easy to fall in one disposition or the other. Here's a great test, if you're a little unsure, maybe you go, I'm not really extreme in either one, if you had two choices, what would you choose, would you rather pray or read the Bible? I don't mean to be stereotypical, but if you would first go, I'd pray, you'd start to fall in more of the feeling, the inflamed heart camp. If your first thought is, I'd rather read the Bible, that's my first instinct, then you would move over into the informed mind camp. Both are beautiful and needed. So it's not appropriate for the thinker to say, I don't need to sing those lovey-dovey feeling songs. And it's not appropriate for the feelers to go, God didn't ask me to be a theologian. What God is seeking is for people with inflamed hearts and informed minds to worship him, to live in and respond to his presence and, his per- and who he is, the person of the triune God. Over the coming weeks, we're going to dive more into this. I hope over the next three weeks, and this is what I've been praying for you. I've been praying for you this week. Some of you by name. um, Some of you in general. I've been praying that God would inflame your heart for Him. That for those who are in this theological camp would start to move towards the middle to say, I want to be able to express my love of God more faithfully and appropriately. And I've been praying for you in the inflamed hearts camp to say, I want to think more rightly about God. I want to know that when I sing and think on Him and pray to Him, that I'm actually praying and thinking and singing about who God really is and not what I've created in my mind. And we're going to take this journey together. And we're all going to grow and be challenged, regardless of where you naturally fall. We're going to move towards a more holistic approach that our hearts would be inflamed that we wouldn't be embarrassed about our love for Christ and ashamed to express it, and that we wouldn't be intimidated or scared to really dive into who is God and what does he mean when he says, I'm seeking these people to worship me. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for our time together this morning. Lord, I pray that as we move forward, specifically over the coming weeks, but uh, Lord, really for the rest of our lives, that by acknowledging the barriers to worship, we would be able to see them, identify them, and move past them. God, that you would give us what we need to get through and past those barriers. To be able to, with an inflamed heart and an informed mind, worship you. To live in and to respond to your presence and who you are. I want you to keep your eyes closed for just a moment. I want you to think about those three barriers that we talked about today. And I want you to examine yourself and ask yourself the question, uh, if you haven't already figured out, what barrier is my greatest struggle? Is it drinking from the wrong well? I'm trying to find joy and satisfaction in something other than God. Even if it's a good thing that God gave, like money and relationships and sex, All things that the Bible tells us God has given to us. But then what we do is we elevate the gift over the giver. Is that your barrier? Trying to drink from the wrong well? And so you miss what God has for you? Maybe for you there's unrepented, unconfessed sin in your life. It's a wall of rebellion and neglect you've built up over the years. And that wall is standing in your way of the next steps in your journey with Christ. And there's sin that you need to repent of, you need to confess. Or maybe... And with all sincere, sincerity, you would just say, my barrier is ignorance. I just don't really know much about God. I don't really know what we mean when we talk about worship. I don't even really understand it all. And for you, that's the barrier to going deeper, is, is just having uh, a misunderstanding. Would you take a moment to just be honest with yourself? And be honest with God about your barrier. Would you ask Him to help you? If there's a commitment that needs to be made, would you make it? And will you decide for at least the next couple weeks that you're going to push forward and allow God to grow you with an inflamed heart and an informed mind so that we can live in and respond to Him appropriately. If you've never trusted Christ, if you've never placed your faith and your trust in him, the first step in worshiping him and experiencing him is to cry out to him and the Bible says that if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead after he died on the cross for my sins and for yours, that you'll be saved. That no longer does your sin have to be a barrier to experience His love and His forgiveness. Maybe that's the first step for you this morning. Lord, thank You for what You're doing in this place and in this moment. As individuals and as a church, God, would you grow in us an inflamed heart? A heart that is not ashamed to express our love and gratitude to you. A heart that rejoices at the thought of your presence in our lives and who you are. And Lord, would you grow in us an informed mind? To think rightly about you and worship. To think rightly about ourselves and our lives. Lord, we ask that you continue to move. We celebrate and thank you for your presence this morning. Lord, we love you. and pray this in your name. Amen.